Well, thank you, Micaiah, and thank you, worship team. Appreciate it very much, and uh, leading us into God's presence. Hey, we're continuing in our sermon series in the uh, first, not the first, Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to a passage that we kind of overlook all the time in Matthew uh, 5, 33. It's one that we read and we don't think much about, if you're like me, um, anyway, but which, which forced me to look a lot more closely at the meaning behind it. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open up to Matthew 5 or on your phone apps as well. <clears throat> Starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I'll stop there for a moment. Well, have you ever committed perjury in the court of law? Have you ever laid your hand on the Bible and I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I don't think most of us would have the guts to do that, to lie under oath, under, uh, it'd be perjury. We might get in trouble. The context of this passage comes throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament times, all the way through Jesus' time, uh, making oaths, oaths or vows or promises like this were very, very common. In Matthew 14, for example, it was Herod's birthday and the daughter, Herodias, was dancing for all the guests and we're told in another gospel that there were military commanders there. There were all sorts of high officials. And this pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to the daughter that I'll give you anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And we're told that this distressed Herod very much because he made an oath before all of these powerful leaders. Every Jew would have understood that the highest authority giving weight to any promise would be God himself. Vows were thought to have added emphasis to people's words, especially if it was made an oath in God's name. And today, though, we may say, cross my heart and hope to die. I swear to you on my grandmother's grave. There are over 200 references to making oaths in the Bible. For example, in Ecclesiastes 5, when you make a vow to God... Do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Or Deuteronomy 61. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Now sometimes uh, vows were given for evil purposes. For example, in Acts 23 We're told the next morning some Jews formed a conspiracy and they bound themselves with an oath not to eat nor drink until they had killed the Apostle Paul. 
Interesting how conspiracy is linked with a holy oath. (laughs) Well, these Jews were unable to carry out this oath uh, as God's divine protection over the Apostle Paul guided him. But I wonder, did these poor blokes die of starvation or thirst? Because they were bound by an oath not to eat or drink. I don't know. This matter of oaths is referring back to the third of the Ten Commandments in Leviticus 19, where God tells us, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely, for I am the Lord. Crossway Commentary says, The third commandment, forbids empty and false oaths to be made. You shall not swear by my name falsely or profane my name, the name of uh, your God. I am the Lord. And when we make such declarations, swearing by God's name, they must not be false promises or ones that we do not intend to keep. And apparently that was the context here. And it was. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the priests and the the Sadducees, they concluded that they had mastered this third commandment, for they had not lied or made an oath in God's name. They've mastered all of the Ten Commandments in their minds, for that matter. Do not murder. Check. We have not murdered. Do not commit adultery. Check. We haven't committed adultery. Do not divorce without proper paperwork. Check. And here, do not swear an oath by God's name falsely and thereby profane his name. Oh, check. We've never done that. They believe that swearing in God's name or, or making an oath in God's name would be a binding oath, allowing them zero possibility to wiggle out of their commitment if they were to break their promise. So they concluded we're going to not make an oath in God's name anymore. Rather, we'll take another uh, word or, or another item of authority and we'll make our oath in their name. Namely, that they would never make an oath or a vow or a promise in God's holy name because they didn't want to reap the divine judgment that that would entail. Instead, they appealed to the authorities. We will make our oaths in the name of heaven, which is God's residence. And how about in the name of earth, which is God's footstool? Or we'll make an oath or a vow in the name of Jerusalem, which is God's holy city. Or even over our heads, which, which is a vow to our very lives. Making their oaths like this, it would be non-binding as opposed to making it in God's name, which would be binding and punishable by God himself. And so they made oaths that were non-binding, thus permitting them to tell half-truths and not carry out their commitments without consequence. For example, these religious leaders, one day, they would haul Jesus in before Herod and Pilate, and they would exaggerate, they would lie They would withhold information about Jesus in order to get him executed. And they did so conscious-free because they weren't making these promises in God's name. Jesus taught in verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Again, Jesus upped 
up the level. The, the game was up here, you know. Um, like I said, do not murder. Well, I tell you that if you have hate in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. He upped the scale of righteousness. And here he did so again with this oath. He said, I, I tell you, do not make an oath at all. You need to simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, so there's the lesson. Don't make oaths. Instead, just tell the truth at all times to all people in all situations. Let your yes or no suffice. That's it. That's it? Yep, that's it. So how consistent are you? Do you feel like you've mastered this? Isn't it interesting that we can all recall times in our childhood years when we got caught in a lie, right? Am I right? I remember them, I remember four separate instances like it was yesterday, and I could tell you the details. For example, I think when I was in third grade or fourth grade, there was a contest in my elementary school and in the hallway across from the principal's office, there was a picture of a bird. And the first person to sign up and identify this bird would win some sort of prize. And so I remember being in school the night that that contest uh, went, went on. And, and that night there was some special event happening at school. And so I simply, someone told me the name of the bird because I had no clue. So I, I simply erased the girl's name in first there under number one. I put my name instead of hers. Easy. Well, the next day I was confronted, not by my teacher, but by the principal himself. He came into the classroom, and he asked me, and I went, I know nothing, you know? But then they took a couple of my papers, and they compared my signature next to that, and it was identical. So I got in big trouble. I remember that. I can tell you three other stories just like that. The Holy Spirit convicts us, even young children, when we lie because... All these lies come from the evil one. Satan was the liar, the original liar, in the very beginning. Has God really said you should not do this? Well, he will not do that. Proverbs 6, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. These seven things. Two of them are directly related to lying. False, false speech. Instead, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If we feel that we have to insert some sort of promise into our statement or an oath or a vow, a statement like, I swear in my mother's grave, cross my heart, hope to die, then it cheapens the integrity of our words and it cheapens the integrity of our character. By the way, I looked up that cross my heart, hope to die, and I just wondered about the origin and I found it on the internet from Nick P's Proverbs. It comes from a poem. It goes like this. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Wait a moment. I spoke a lie. I really do not want to die. If I may and if I might, my heart is open for tonight. 
My lips are sealed and my promise true. I will not break my word to you. How many knew that? I didn't think so. I didn't either. I, I couldn't hardly remember sticking a needle into my eye. That, that's all I knew. Why would anyone want to stick a needle in their eye? Well, it continues. Well, making oaths, again, it cheapens our integrity in our words and in our character. Think of it this way. If I tell someone, I'm going to meet you at McDonald's tomorrow. Okay, great, sure, what time? Well, tomorrow noon, and I will treat, I will buy. Really? Yes, I promise. I promise, I vow to you, I swear over my dead grandmother's grave, I guarantee that I will be there noon sharp, and I will buy a meal for you. And if I'm not, it simply means that I forgot. Uh, okay. Do all those vows strengthen my word to my friend? Or how about this? Hey, bud, hey, dude, you got to go to that concert, man. That is the most amazing, awesome, spectacular concert that I've ever seen. And, and I promise you, you will love it. You've got to believe me. I swear by it. Cross my heart. I give you my word. Honest to God. I swear on my life. No lie. You've got to go to this concert. Your friend says, well, uh, okay, I guess. Maybe I'll go sometime. Or to a friend we might say, don't worry, I promise. I won't tell anyone. Well, does that strengthen our word and our character, or our integrity? Or a parent says, I swear to you, I will buy you that game if you get an A on your report card. I make my vow and my promise to you. Does that strengthen the word of a, of a parent? Does it make for a secure child? Jesus said in verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. We don't have to back up our words with promises, in other words. Our word has enough credibility in and of itself if we belong to Jesus. And does this also mean that we can never go to a wedding forevermore and and watch someone exchange wedding vows? Evil, evil! Or, or if, in a court of law, I'm not going to put my, my hand on a Bible? No, that'd be evil. No, it doesn't mean that at all. The principle is simply this. Believers in Christ should be known to be truth-tellers in everything that we say. Because the truth lives in us. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And as we allow him to live his life through us, then we will resemble him in our actions and in our words. In the New Testament, New Covenant era, the language of making vows almost disappears. Why? Again, because we have the perfect truth teller dwelling within us. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And as believers, our words should carry more weight and enough weight in and of themselves our culture desperately needs people of integrity like that. We all know that our culture is inundated with lies today. Lies have become so common and even expected and understood in politics, on the news outlets. Pastors get exposed in webs of lies when we hear about that, as, as we do business leaders and investors and professors, and sports, and attorneys, and judges, even from police departments, these cover-ups. 
And, and we all do that because we want to protect our backsides, I imagine. I love this quote. It says, some people can't tell a lie, others can't tell the truth, and others can't tell the difference. Well, today, we can't tell the difference. It has become so commonplace. But for believers, God is present in our every interaction and conversation. We don't have to invoke his name. We don't need to lay our hand on the Bible and swear by heaven because he's there already. So let our yes be yes and our no be known. The first principle is we should be known as truth tellers. We should be known as truth tellers. But I think this, it goes beyond this. I think there's a, one more principle contained within these few verses. Our yes should also make us commitment keepers in everything that we do. How many of us, how many of you have said yes to Jesus for your salvation at one time? I would imagine probably just about everyone here or watching online, you said, yes, I want to be your disciple. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want you as my Savior and Lord. And in that case, though, our yes should inform every part of our speech as well as our behavior. Not just at church, but at school, at home, in traffic, at work, during our recreation. These days, statistics reveal that teenagers and young adults are leaving the church in droves in America after they graduate. Why is that? Could it be because they were lacking authentic adult role models? Adults who walk their talk? You know, kids are not stupid. More is caught than taught. And when they see, uh, when they don't detect a link between the adults in their lives, their talk and their walk, and their commitment, it will lead to an irrelevant faith later on in their lives. Unless we live out our faith as adults in practical, consistent ways in the home by loving God and loving others, it will cease to be relevant to our kids. Like a, if parents are inconsistent, like when a kid runs in, you know, inside the house, mom, there's a dog out there as big as a bear. And the mom responds, child, I've told you five million times to stop exaggerating. Let me try that again. Mom, there's a, all right. In other words, when we said yes to God for our salvation, it means that we must say yes to God every day in our treatment of others. John 15, 10 you remain in my love if you keep my commands. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In other words, God says, if you love me, then you're going to love others. Now, my parents were really quirky people. They were fun-loving, they were delightful, but they were quirky. How many have had quirky parents in your day? How many were quirky parents in your day? But they, my parents walked their talk, though. You know, you knew who they were by meeting them. They gave 
to the Lord. They served others. They sacrificed for others. They gave of their time and their gifts and their finances to, the, to others, the body of Christ. They're committed to their church and a ministry. My siblings and I say this on a consistent basis, that our parents sought to live their lives in obedience to Christ. And the fruit was in their children, walking with the Lord, and in their grandchildren, and now even the great-grandchildren who are walking with the Lord. Because they were committed to Christ, the head, and therefore they were committed to Christ's people, the body, the church. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to love my children. You're going to be devoted to my children. It's not just going to be a little piece of puzzle in your life, like, yeah, go to church. Yeah, I'll, I'll serve somehow, sometime. Maybe once a year we'll go and stick it into the puzzle. No, it is top priority. In other words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes. We will mess up often. We will become lazy. We will, in fact, disobey. We will remove Jesus from our top priority at times and put him down here, third, fourth, fifth. We will do that because we're sinners. Sometimes we'll forget uh, to love others and show up and let others down, disappoint them. Sometimes our talk won't match our walk. Sometimes we'll say the right thing simply to avoid confrontation. What then? Again, like all of Jesus' others' teachings, when we realize that we've fallen short, we simply need to confess and repent and make things right. We get in trouble when we live secret lives, when we live our lives unrepentantly. We know it. No one else may know it. We look good on the outside, but our hearts are not true to who we are. What then? We sometimes sin, uh, if we have the sin of commission, like Zacchaeus, he committed sin by robbing people as a tax collector. When he repented, he returned much of the money back to the people that he had ripped off. Or sometimes it's the sin of omission. We lack commitment and love for others. We become consumed with our own lives and our own families and our own everything. You know, self-centered. James 4 says, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is for them sin. So we repent, perhaps by making a phone call or by doing what I did this past week. I needed to repent of something that seems pretty stupid, but the Lord's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, convicted me. And so I did so. I was at a convenience store that I will not name, and it was not 7-Eleven, but I got a refill on my Diet Dr. Pepper in an old cup, and when I was there, I was waiting in line behind someone at the counter who was buying lottery tickets and tobacco and whatever he was buying, and, oh, I want to get something out. And so I was standing there. Meanwhile, a, a mom and a young kid, they were standing behind me or just standing there, like, making eye contact. I'm telling you, it was six or seven minutes. We are standing there as he, oh, also give me one more of these and these, and we're thinking, oh, and I'm holding my drink, and it's almost gone. How much are refills of refills? I was wondering, you know. 
And then finally, the woman behind the, uh, the counter just said, is that a refill? I said, yep. I was going to lay my doll or something down on the counter. And she said, just go, just go. And I went, okay. And I went. And I justified, you know, I waited a long time. You know, I would have perhaps gotten a free one because I have points for my gas. And, um, and so I justified, you know what? I got a free drink today. Amen. But then I thought of the woman and the child behind me. They observed it. They watched the doll take transpire. They, I'm sure they, she didn't wave them on because they had other stuff they had to buy, right? They had to wait. So the Lord convicted me to go back and make it right and confess and, and pay for this. And so the Lord convicted me the next day to do the same thing. And the next day. And the third day. And finally, after much justification and rationalization, I went back to the store and um, I did so. I made it right. And I'm thinking, that was really stupid, you know? I mean, it's just a little Coke, you know? It's sugar water. What difference does it make? And then I remembered this quote. This was a part of the conviction. C.S. Lewis said, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, and all of your innumerable choices, all of your lifelong are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. After much justification and rationalization, I realized that my yes to Jesus as a follower of Christ needed to be translated into a yes in obedience. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Sometimes we say no to things that would displease God as well. And I was able to do so because Jesus, the truth, lives within me, and his spirit convicted me. But sometimes we're not capable of doing things, saying no to things that are, we're addicted to, for example. We can't do so in our own strength and power. And so we need the Spirit of God within us to empower us to obey the things that God is calling us to, obey, uh, to keep. And Christ, the one who created the entire universe, lives within us. He's capable of giving us victory. So as Christ followers, you and I need to be different. We need to be people of truth. We need to be people of integrity. And the two principles that the Lord impressed in my heart was we need to be truth tellers and we need to be commitment keepers. Let our yes be yes. And we can be people of truth in our words and our actions uh, because we have the way, the truth, and the life residing within us. And so, Lord Jesus, we turn to you now. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are here this morning. Um, I don't know what this means to any one of us who sat under the authority of your word today. I pray, Lord, anything that I said that was not of you, I pray that you remove it, and, and we won't remember any of it. But the things that your spirit desires to impress in our hearts and the actions you desire us to take, 
I pray, God, that you'll impress that in our heart, Lord, that we may become more like you, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, that you empower us to, to carry out what you, what, which you, that which you have called us to do. In Christ's name, amen.